Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparola. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, March 31st through Tuesday, April 5th, feature Ricardo Muti and the orchestra, joined by mezzo-soprano Alina Garancia. The program includes the world premiere of Missy Mazzoli's Orpheus Undone, Rickert Lieder by Gustav Mahler, and Bruckner's Symphony No. 2. Here are Philip Usher's program notes on Missy Mazzoli's Orpheus Undone, a work lasting about 15 minutes. Missy Mazzoli was little more than halfway through her three years as our Mead composer-in-residence when the pandemic shut down Orchestra Hall, scrapping the world premiere just a month away of Orpheus Undone, the piece she had written for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, along with a series of Music Now concerts she had curated. Much of the planned Music Now repertory was eventually salvaged as part of the orchestra's new online CSO TV platform, and Ricardo Muti introduced her music to Chicago Symphony audiences with These Worlds in Us, her earliest orchestral composition at the opening of the current season. Ironically, by then she had already stepped down as our resident composer, passing the title to Jesse Montgomery. Now Orpheus Undone is finally arriving more than two years after the date of its originally scheduled premiere. The pandemic upended Mazzoli's creative life, yet at the same time it infused it with a closer understanding of why she writes music and what that music is about. Mazzoli's longtime fascination with our Western inability to face or process death and grief has been reflected in many of her major scores, which are exquisite considerations of the biggest of life's experiences, violence, ecstasy, sexual transgression. Her music has often squarely faced what she calls the emotions in between emotions, those complex feelings, subtly colored, elusive, and little examined, that music can suggest more effectively than words. I am interested in portraying aspects of a loss, of grief or joy, that are complicated, she said at the time of the premiere of her ballet score, Orpheus Alive, the springboard for her Chicago symphony piece, Orpheus Undone. Often these emotions come right up against each other. There's joy mixed with sadness, mixed with grief, mixed with longing. Nothing is simple. During the pandemic, Mazzoli took an online course to become a death doula, the person who helps the dying and those closest to them make it through that journey. Last summer, she spent a month alone on Faro, the remote Swedish island in the Baltic Sea that was once home to film director Ingmar Bergman and where he filmed parts of two of his greatest creations, Through a Glass Darkly and Scenes from a Marriage. On Faro, she began three compositions, a choral piece, a percussion quartet for Third Coast Percussion, and a violin concerto called Procession that was unveiled at the Kennedy Center in February that she thinks of as her apocalyptic trio. Mazzoli is already working on her new work for the Metropolitan Opera, Lincoln in the Bardo, based on the novel by George Saunders. It won the 2017 Man Booker Prize that explores the transitional state between death and the next life, Bardo, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and takes place in the aftermath of the death of Abraham Lincoln's beloved 11-year-old son, Willie. Its experimental narrative, A Conversation of Departed Souls, explores familiar terrain for Mazzoli. His mind was freshly inclined toward sorrow, Saunders writes of Lincoln. 
toward the fact that the world was full of sorrow, that everyone labored under some burden of sorrow, that all were suffering. At the time of her Chicago appointment at the start of the 2018-19 season, Mazzoli was a name that popped up in any serious discussion of music being written today, the kind of burden that can easily defeat all but the truest of artists. Instead, Mazzoli thrived, achieving that rarest of existences, a popular musician. She played club dates with Victoire, her electroacoustic quintet, she collaborated with Wilco drummer Glenn Kochi. She wrote music for Amazon's Mozart in the Jungle series. And she was also amassing important commissions and awards for the boldness and invention of her writing. She was recently named Musical America's 2022 Composer of the Year. Mazzoli first drew serious attention in the early years of our century with small-scaled pieces such as Harp and Altar, a love song to the Brooklyn Bridge. The title comes from Hart Crane's poem, introduced by the Kronos Quartet, or Still Life with Avalanche, a sextet about the disruptive power of grief that its title suggests, which was commissioned by 8th Blackbird. But it was Songs from the Uproar, a multimedia song cycle based on the journals of Isabel Eberhardt, a 19th century Swiss explorer, that pointed her career in a new direction, suggesting that she had important things to say in the dramatic realm. Uproar, which premiered in 2012, was followed by Breaking the Waves, a bold operatic revisiting of the dark and provocative Lars von Trier film, and Proving Up, an opera based on a short story by Karen Russell that casts new light on the myth of the American dream. Pandemic considerations forced Lyric Opera of Chicago to postpone performances of Proving Up, originally scheduled for January to a future season. Most of my operas so far have centered on women in impossible situations, Mazzoli told the BBC in 2020. Being a woman in a male-dominated field and struggling to carve out an identity is one of my big preoccupations. The fact that she is one of the first two women commissioned by the Metropolitan Opera to compose for the company... The adaptation, with her regular librettist Royce Vavrick of Lincoln in the Bardo, suggests the extent of her success. Last year, Mazzoli completed a new opera, The Listeners, commissioned by the Norwegian National Opera, Opera Philadelphia, and Lyric Opera. The premiere will be given in Norway this summer. Lyric Opera has not yet announced the dates of its Chicago performances. Mazzoli has described it as an opera about our desperate desire to belong, our search for community and meaning, and the power of charismatic leaders who exploit these desires. Although the pandemic derailed many of Mazzoli's Chicago public appearances, her objective to expand our experience with music by living composers and to bring new names into our repertoire moved forward through Music Now's online incarnation, commissioned works materialized, world premieres happened, and new voices emerged, just not in traditional concerts before an audience. Mazzoli's mission for Music Now was startlingly bold and long overdue. In an essential reboot of traditional concert programming, Mazzoli decided that at least half of her selections would feature female, non-binary, trans, and non-white composers, and that none of the composers would have been performed previously by the Chicago Symphony.
This is the logical outgrowth of Luna Composition Lab, the program she founded with composer Ellen Reed in 2016 under the umbrella of the Kaufman Music Center to provide support for overlooked young composers. In this way, Mazzoli has said, we're pushing for equity and looking to change the very culture of early education, academia, and conservatories, changes that are already having a ripple effect on the field at large. It was her 2019 ballet, Orpheus Alive, her largest work to date aside from opera, that led directly to the work Mazzoli would write as the centerpiece of her Chicago Symphony residency, Orpheus Undone, composed before the pandemic but uncannily reflecting today's changed world, Orpheus Undone's two linked movements convey what happens to our sense of time when we are struck by great shock or tragedy, the disorienting sense that things are moving at different speeds, the sudden feeling of watching something unfold in slow motion. By happenstance, Mazzoli's deeply personal and unsparing language and her understanding of the dark side of human nature has made her a fitting voice for our troubled times. And after two years of quarantines and social distancing, Mazzoli's reverence for a sense of belonging is particularly apt. The purpose of creating music is to feel less alone, to create a community around the work to express something that can't be expressed in words, she has said. Writing about enthusiasm strategies, a tiny piece she recently composed for the Kronos Quartet as part of its 54 The Future project, Mazzoli entrusts music with the greatest of goals. It is a way of setting the world in order a method of carving up time in a way that seemingly by magic changes our frame of mind, energizes us, and gives us courage and reassurance. And here is Missy Mazzoli herself on Orpheus Undone. She writes, Orpheus Undone, an orchestral work commissioned by the Chicago Symphony, is an exploration of two brief moments in the Orpheus myth the moment that Eurydice dies and the moment that Orpheus decides to follow his lover into the underworld. Constructed of two connected movements, Behold the Machine, O Death, and We of Violence We Endure, this work explores the baffling and surreal stretching of time in moments of trauma or agony. The movement titles come from Rilke's Sonnets to Orpheus, and this work uses small fragments of material from my 2019 ballet, Orpheus Alive. Words by Missy Mazzoli herself and program notes by Philip Husher on Missy Mazzoli's Orpheus Undone. And now on to Gustav Mahler's Rickett Leader, the songs lasting about 17 minutes. Mahler composed his first four settings of Rückert's poetry in the summer of 1901, adding Liebste um Schönheit in August 1902 to complete the set. These four songs were premiered in January 1905 in Vienna in their orchestral versions with the composer conducting. Liebste um Schönheit was first sung in its original version for voice and piano in February 1907. The orchestration, which varies from song to song, calls for two flutes, two oboes, English horn, and oboe d'amore, two clarinets, two bassoons, and contrabassoon, four horns, two trumpets, three trombones, and tuba, timpani, harp, celesta, piano, and strings. The performance time, about 17 minutes. 
On June 5, 1901, Mahler moved into his new house at Mayonich, where he would spend the next seven summers, savoring the lake view and composing the music that would one day make him famous. He began to write songs almost the day he arrived. The first sketch of Ich atmet einen Lindenduft is dated June 9th. And although he eventually threw himself into the composition of a new symphony, his fifth, he was preoccupied with songs all summer long. He reacquainted himself with those by Schumann, which he ranked with Schubert's, and he admired their contained sensibility, true lyricism, and deep melancholy. Mahler spent his days composing, sequestered in a little hut a short distance from the house, and he worked with such concentrated intensity that he didn't even notice the sounds of hammering and sawing as workmen finished construction next door. On July 25th, however, he was disturbed by a crowd of arch-conservative concert-goers who yelled their disapproval of his music from the shore. And the very next day, by a motorboat of squealing young women intent on catching a glimpse of the controversial musician. This was a particularly serene and easygoing summer. He even enjoyed listening to the birds, which in previous years had irritated him with their songs, the first composers he had called them dismissively. Of all Mahler's summer holidays, none was as productive as this. He finished two movements of his Fifth Symphony and seven of his greatest songs, including three from the Kintertotenlieder and another four settings of text by the German Romantic poet Friedrich Rückert. On August 10th, he invited his friend Natalie Bauer-Lechner to the hut so he could play his new songs for her. He had hoped to take a few days off before returning to Vienna, but he was suddenly drawn to one more Rickat poem he had wanted to set all summer. On August 16th, he finished Ich bin der Welt abhanden gekommen, one of his most deeply personal works. Mahler seemed unusually satisfied by his progress that summer, and he wrote to a friend that perhaps someday, when he was more readily appreciated, his little composing hut would bear a plaque marking the place he sat every day. He joked that they might nail it on the adjacent outhouse by mistake. Mahler was more depressed than usual about returning to his job at the Vienna Opera, and he could hardly stand the thought of having to wait until the following June to resume work on his music. It's the same old story, too much haste and too little time, he remarked before closing up the house, and I always have to leave when I'm right in the middle of something. But this time, back in Vienna, proved to be unexpectedly happy. On November 7th, at a dinner party in the Vienna home of the Zirkekandos, Mahler met 22-year-old Alma Schindler, the daughter of the popular Austrian landscape painter Emil Jakob Schindler and a budding composer himself. Both she and Schoenberg were students of Alexander von Zemlinsky. Although Alma's first impression was that Mahler spoke as if he were leading a meeting, their relationship quickly grew more intimate, and within four months they were married. The next August, back in Mayernich, this time with his new wife, Mahler set one last poem by Rickert as a love song for Alma, Liebst du um Schönheit, If You Love for Beauty. The range of these five songs is extraordinary. Several reveal a fragile and highly personal lyricism that had begun to run through Mahler's music at the time. Blicke mir nicht in die Lieder, Do Not Look Into My Songs, was the first of Rickert's poems that Mahler set. 
with its perpetual motion accompaniment buzzing like the bees in the poem's second stanza, the lilting melody, its all unassuming charm. Mahler loved this poem, as he told Natalie he could have written it himself. Ich atmet einen Lindenduft calls for only a few instruments, there are no lower strings, and just solo winds, and Mahler uses them sparingly and with great restraint. The vocal line is yet another thread in his cool and transparent counterpoint. Mahler told Natalie that the song captured the way one feels in the presence of a beloved being of whom one is completely sure without a single word needing to be spoken. Ich bin der Welt abhanden gekommen with its hushed harmonies and hesitant arpeggios is like no other work in Mahler's output. It does share something of the otherworldly beauty of the Adagietto from the Fifth Symphony, which he also was writing at the time. Mahler was overwhelmingly drawn to the image of man's withdrawal from the hubbub of the world, and Rickert's poem inspired some of his most restrained and profound music. This was one of the first things Mahler wrote in the isolated composing huts at Maunich, and the distance from family and friends that he had craved only heightened his appreciation for the few people in life who meant the most to him. Loneliness and contentment, love and longing, all seem to coexist unforgettably in a few fragile lines of music. It is I myself, Mahler said of the song. Liebst du im Schönheit is perhaps inevitably the most conventional in its melodic outline and hymn-like accompaniment, since it was intended as no more than a little love song for Alma. Mahler sketched it for voice and piano and saw no reason to orchestrate it. This is the only one of the Rickert settings not conceived orchestrally. Later, at the publisher's request, Max Putman rendered its relatively straightforward accompaniment in orchestral colors. In Um Mitternacht, at midnight, Mahler dispenses with the strings entirely, using the winds and brass with astonishing economy, poetry, and ultimately power. The plaintive oboe d'amore, so rarely called for, is like a cry from the heart. This is one of Mahler's grandest and most theatrical songs, with a climax of almost operatic splendor. Program notes by Philip Huscher on the Rickert Leader by Gustav Mahler. I'm Rich Caparola. Thanks for listening.